Hey, it's Sarah from the Rethinking Youth Ministry Podcast. Our team is so excited for you to tune into this week's episode, Why We Should Never Talk About Purity Again. We realize the title of this episode may sound a little sensational, but we also know we have some of the most generous listeners in the world, and you'll stick with us as we unpack the baggage that has become associated with the word purity, but also what a better alternative may be in its place. So thanks for listening, and remember, if you have something you want to contribute to the conversation, and we'd love to hear from you, be sure to head to RethinkingYM.org. Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm Sarah, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Charlie. Hi, friends. Stuart. Ladies. And back with us again, Kristen Ivey. <laughs> Did you just say ladies? Ladies. <laughs> Felt strange. And gentlemen. <laughs> well, I'm just talking about the ladies around Guys? the table. Oh, okay. Okay, that feels better. I thought we were having a conversation with everybody else who's... We are, but I was making it much more personal and direct. Uh, so do I haven't feel- had a chance to talk to everybody. So, hey, ladies. <laughs> a little insecure about being the only male on this panel today. Uh, nope, Stuart. a lot insecure. Okay, <laughs> because today's <laughs> topic is why you should never talk about purity again. Thus the reason for my insecurity. <laughs> so that's a pretty provocative statement we made. And so to get started with this, I just want to begin talking about what's wrong with the word purity, why it doesn't work or we don't think it works anymore. What has the word done well? How has it done well for us in student ministry and youth ministry? And let's just start there. Thoughts? Well, I think when you say the word purity, Mm -hmm. immediately it shuts me down, right? Okay. Because it feels very isolating to me Okay. because I was not that kid that honored her purity, Mm -hmm. right? As a teenager, Mm -hmm. I was... Um, you know, y'all know, we don't have to turn up the dial for that. Right. Okay. But not tell us, I know. Tell us what kind of podcast. This is a safe space. This is not story hour. (laughs) We're good. But I feel like in ministry, I've met a lot of girls and boys who are probably more like me Mm -hmm. and the immediate response to purity is like an isolation. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And immediately that word makes me feel shameful. Okay. So Mm -hmm. what is it? What is the connotation with purity that makes it feel like I did something and now I'm no longer qualified. Correct. Well, I think when you think purity, you immediately imagine something that is like a glass of water. You know, there's no blemish. It's a, what are all of the illustrations that Uh, youth pastors and leaders have used before that you're thinking it's absolutely clear. It's absolutely pristine. There's Mm -hmm. no mark on it whatsoever. Blameless. And regardless of a kid's story, it's just you begin to live in fear even mm-hmm. of going, wait, 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 did that mark me? Did that mark me? Did that mm-hmm. mark me? Right. Am I going to be able to get that mark off? Mm-hmm. And we do, we disregard so many people's different stories when we use the word purity. Um, when you look statistically at the number of kids who maybe have been abused, um, something has been done to them that they didn't right. desire. Um, maybe there was some choice that they made. We just don't know those stories and purity mm-hmm. all of a sudden brings this image to light. That either causes fear or guilt or blame. I mean, there's all these these things. And no one wants to sit in church or a youth group and just be shameful. Right. Mm-hmm. That's Feel not shame. fun to yeah. sit in. In yeah. fact, that's the reason most people don't come back, right? They're yeah. going, wait, wait, wait. Okay, I was good coming into this room when I felt good enough to be here. Right. And then a lot of kids will leave and never come back when something's happened and they go, no, I just... 
the minute I walk in the building, yeah. I instantly am going to have to face this in a way that's not helpful. Yeah. And they run away. So how do you think we got there? Like, has that always been the case when it comes to talking about sexual ethics in church? Has purity always been a problem? Has that word always had baggage attached to it? Or how did we begin talking about purity to begin with? I think the church has always had a complicated relationship with mm-hmm. the physical body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And part it goes all of, the way back to Augustine. It will, <laughs> yeah. Or beyond, I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, it's way yeah. back. It, it, it points to... I mean, we can talk about how, uh, as the lone male at this mm-hmm. table, uh, it is embarrassing how much uh, the conversation about sexuality has been presented from a masculine perspective, mm-hmm. uh, even to the degree something as simple as when we look at the creation story, it was Eve was the tempt, you know, the temptress. Right. Um, she's the reason we fall. Um, so I, th- I think that's part of the issue, yeah. first and foremost. The church has a very complicated um, perspective mm-hmm. about the physical body. And I think anybody listening and all of us around the table, we have to admit that we all, male and female, we are spiritual beings, emotional beings, intellectual beings, physical beings, but we're also sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And part of the issue, I think, is that women, unfortunately, have always been characterized as less than sexual. Mm-hmm. Consequently, the perspective has been about objectifying the opposite sex from a male perspective. Right. And that begins to dilute at what purity really is. I would argue that purity is less about the absence of sin, which is what you've talked about, mm-hmm. about a, you know, a clear glass of water being tainted. Right. We've always, since I've been in youth ministry, communicated about purity in that regard, that it's, you know, no, no taintedness. Mm -hmm. I think it's less about the absence of sin and more about the fullness of God. Mm. It's the fullness of of something as opposed to the absence of something, Mm. which means that in Charlie's case, I would join Charlie in the camp that she grew up in. I was unchurched. I'm not proud of my lack of purity, but you can be full of God and make some mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think we're having the conversation. Yeah. Right. But the, but purity, the word purity does not really give that connotation. It's Correct. more kind of like... We haven't painted it that yes. way. There's another yeah. thing I sometimes wonder about, and I might disagree with this later, just depends <laughs> on the day that I'm thinking about it, but I sometimes wonder if our emphasis on purity in the church has made us feel as if we shouldn't be sexual beings yes. in yeah. a way that somehow creates sexuality as the elephant in the room that you can't stop looking at. Mm-hmm. And so it almost perpetuates some of the, just an obsession almost mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. sex in an unhealthy way because it's the one thing you can't do, the one thing you can't talk about, the one thing. And there's, it's so emphasized that it almost becomes um, a larger yeah. issue instead of just embracing the, you know, there's, we're sexual beings. Like mm-hmm. that's part of who we, how we were created yeah. and who we are, it becomes something else entirely. Mm-hmm. But when you make it about purity, when you make purity about just don't have sex and you're really, you're shutting down the conversation. Like there's no room for like the complications that come along with being sexual beings. It's just like, just don't do it. And we don't talk about it. Like, well, you also it. set yourself up in that scenario to go, well, then what is sex right. exactly? Exactly. <laughs> yes. If, if the thing is a rule, right? If right. it's about a rule and you can't have sex, then you begin immediately as human, human nature, yeah, just right. going, okay, then what is 
sex specifically and what are all the other things that I can do. Right. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So I think, um, Stuart, you were probably a a youth pastor during the (laughs) height of the purity movement. Why do I come on here and get berated about my age? No, (laughs) (laughs) that was not what that was supposed to do. I I am such a glutton for punishment, but yes, I was. Yeah. So I just want to hear like, what have you seen? having been a youth pastor kind of at the height of the purity movement Mm. that really was like the signing of the pledges and the purity rings and the ceremonies and all that kind of thing. And then what ended up happening as a result? That's such a good question. To back up a little bit, I think we need to understand why the purity movement even became a a movement. Yeah. Uh, We have to remember that late 1800s, historically, there was a big shift in women in some ways started demanding their rights to be sexually liberated. Right. And immediately the the moral majority spoke up. Mm-hmm. That's why prohibition became a big thing. Mm-hmm. There was an, uh, an outcry about women in prostitution. Mm-hmm. The result of that was another revolution, what we call the, the sexual revolution right. started. Um, one, one thing to consider is I think Elvis went on the Ed Sullivan show in 1956 mm-hmm. and he was only shown from the shoulders oh. up. <laughs> he moved his hips and yeah. it was too yeah. suggested. Uh, uh, this right. is a crazy story. Right. My mother-in-law yeah. uh, in a high school in Alabama, they had a high school assembly when she was in high school. Uh-huh. They had a guest performer. He started and got about a third of the way into his song and they shut it down and threw the guy out. And that guy was Elvis Presley. <laughs> So you have you, so you have yeah. that happen, yeah. Uh, and of course, the sexual, sexual revolution begins to pick up speed. Right. We talk about the '60s and '70s, and there was a there was a social purity mm-hmm. movement after the sexual revolution mm-hmm. that was an attempt to kind of this is getting out of control, swing in mm-hmm. the other direction, correct? Yeah. And then the church decided we want to join that, yeah. And 1992. True love waits becomes yeah. the war cry of Protestant evangelical churches. Interestingly enough, true love waits made its way even to the Catholic Church, the Charismatic mm. Church. It, it became international. Yeah. Uh, in one day, I think there were over five hundred thousand pledges. If you remember this, in D.C. on oh, the lawn. I believe I was one of those. <laughs> right. <laughs> But the problem with the movement was that, very much to what Kristen was saying, the problem with the movement is that we were taking something that God created and we were making it so such a guilt and shame mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sharing you yeah. with you this offline that I read an article from a psychiatrist in Seattle who now is counseling people who grew mm-hmm. up during the purity movement. Mm-hmm. And she likens the guilt and shame mm-hmm. that young men and women are going through in her counseling sessions that grew up during the purity movement to the same sort of guilt and, guilt and shame that young men and women go through when they're raped, wow. when they're abused. Wow. Because, and it's because crazy. of what the idea of I could not keep myself. What did I do wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. How could I not control my mind? Because it made it bigger than just not having sex. It was right. about your thought life and things well, like that. Well, it was that, but also wasn't it 
in talking about purity and these um, ceremonies and all that sort of thing, you're making marriage the finish line. So Correct. it's almost like your, your purity finish line is when you walk down the aisle and then it's like everything's supposed to just be figured out after mm -hmm. that. Yes. There's no conversation about healthy sexuality once you're in marriage as well, which I feel like that, I feel like that's some of the guilt and shame no you're coming from people it. who made these commitments and, you know, quote unquote, did it right. And now they're feeling guilt and shame, even in the right context. Correct. And I would, I would, and I'll be quiet about this, but I would take it a couple steps further and even say that all of the, most of the writings that came out during that time, mm -hmm. I kissed dating goodbye, yes. that Josh has actually gone back and, and yeah. like, he's gone back on what he wrote, uh, uh, <laughs> Lady in Waiting. Mm -hmm. Lady in Waiting has one entire chapter talking about females and sexuality and not once in, in the whole book, but especially in that chapter, do they ever approach it from the fact that women desire sexually just as much as men? Right. Mm. So consequently, you have so much shrapnel from that. Yeah. Mm. I'm of the opinion, and I said this to you earlier, Sarah, I think the reason why the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, franchise mm -hmm. has become what it is, mm -hmm. is a result of how we presented sex during the purity movement. Mm. How do you... How do you get there in your thinking? Because that's a, that's a kind of big statement. I, I think women have always, well, first of all, as a female, right. you are a sexual being. Oh, I thought you were about to say as a female like yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did too. I was like, well, this is going somewhere. <laughs> as a female, um, I, think, I think one of the things we've done a disservice uh, as the father of two daughters, mm -hmm. I want my daughters to know they're sexual beings. Mm -hmm. And... Unfortunately, men are allowed to think of themselves sex as a sexual being, but women aren't. Mm -hmm. And they have been given an opportunity, women with the Fifty Shades franchise, mm -hmm. to think of themselves in that regard. Even though the content of the movies actually is the opposite. Right. Because it, right. you know, it goes a completely different direction about submission and all that kind of stuff. I think I think it's a way for women to go. I can be free and think about this. Yeah. And and think about the scores of women. Yeah. I mean, how many has that franchise oh, gosh. had? I don't know. Four or five of the same. So there's something to that. I don't think the church should turn a blind eye and go, why, why is that? Not, why is that? I think we need to ask why is that happening? Right. So as a dad, that just kind of sits with me. Why is it that you want your daughters to grow up knowing that they're sexual beings? If you could talk just a little bit more about why that's important to you. Very much toward what Sarah is talking about, that when they, first of all, I don't want our daughters to think that marriage is the finish line. Right. Right. Uh, we have, I think, a part of, part of the reason why marriage is in such a difficult position is we've painted it to be something that's almost impossible for it to live up to. Mm-hmm. I think that's first. Secondly, they are sexual beings. So mm -hmm. I want them to have a healthy perspective of their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And as Kelly and I talk to them about that, it's very interesting to see how they prop begin to properly appropriate their body, mm -hmm. how they should present themselves, mm -hmm. the freedom to present themselves as they want to with the same discipline of going, I don't know if I want to present myself in that environment this way. Right. All of those things. Whereas... The only other or the other recourse has been we're not going to talk about it and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And we've, you know, 30 years of youth ministry. I've seen the results of that. We just don't want to raise daughters that way. OK, so that makes me think about my days as a high school teacher. Um, I was an English teacher and I read some essays by some girls. And in 
kind of this culture right now, there is also a perception, I think for some girls where they look to and idolize in some ways where they aspire to be, Mm -hmm. um, that type of sexual being, because that's a way that they know they can get attention or have sexuality. How do you distinguish for girls in teen culture, the difference between embracing a healthy sexuality and chasing after a sexuality that might not be mutually respectful? That's a good question. Well, I think that starts with integrity and teaching them about what integrity is and then how to live that out. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two college age daughters and like Stuart, we are very open at my house and we talk about sex and we talk about how to carry yourself and how to present yourself well. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, that happens in the relationship with the boy though, too, right? right? Like that has to be a mutual integrity in those relationships to, um, kind of live out the idea of what integrity means versus just don't, right? right. Just stop. Like that's right. not what we're going to talk right. about. Just stop or become a porn star, right? Like somewhere in the middle, yeah. there's a conversation mm-hmm. that we need to have. Mm-hmm. So Charlie, you brought up the word integrity. So I feel like we've kind of said purity is not the way to go. Or would you say that integrity is the alternative? Is that what the conversation? I want to raise strong, independent women mm-hmm. who have a great set of morals and principles. Mm-hmm. So that's the conversation around my table at home mm-hmm. is how to live with integrity, even in relationships with their friends, mm-hmm. relationships with boyfriends, relationships with other adults. Like it has to be an integrity type conversation. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, th- I th- going back to what we were talking about earlier yeah. about the absence of sin versus the fullness of God. Integer Latin term means whole. Mm-hmm. So I love the fact that when you talk about integrity, you can be whole. Mm-hmm. It's it you. I mean, I'm I don't want to raise daughters uh, spiritually. And I, Kelly and I don't want to look at all three of our children from a defeatist standpoint. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I worry when we talk about purity the way we're talking about it that we've just thrown up our hands and said nobody's going to be pure, so let's not right, talk about it right. anymore. And so let's redefine it, which I think is a very dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. It's like we can't hit the finish line, so we're going to move the finish line. Right. Mm. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. don't think that's what we're doing here. No, I think no, we no. have misappropriated the most critical parts right. of sexuality right. well, and integrity is a big part of that. Right. I love the idea of not moving the finish line in our conversations with Jim Burns, who is a huge part of the purity Youth movement. Youth ministry hero, by the way. Yeah. He's amazing. He's mm-hmm. amazing. And we've had him in the room and we've had these conversations about purity specifically, which has got to be hard when you've written all the books about purity. Right. right? <laughs> and it is important not to throw up our hands and give up but to redefine. And that's where we've said really a better finish line is to have sexual integrity, which we like to define as guarding my potential for intimacy through appropriate boundaries and mutual respect. Mm -hmm. And it's really that mutual respect issue to say, okay, this is both sides. Mm -hmm. Because also, I mean, as a mother of a son, I'm constantly thinking about the girls that are around him Mm -hmm. and whether they're going to understand that they're healthy sexual beings. They are created to be sexual, but they're not seeking attention maybe from my son in the wrong way. I mean, Mm -hmm. right. This is something you think about as a parent, both for girls and for Mm -hmm. your sons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I love, um, the beginning part of that definition, the potential for intimacy, because I think that's another thing that kind of threw off the 
purity movement. movement was you, you play by the right rules, you automatically get this result. Mm. And having, you know, watched a lot of friends who did, you know, did that play by the rules and then get divorced, you know, other reasons. But I think there is this idea that you were sold. You do this right. Your marriage is great. And, but the potential for intimacy is the sexual integrity is going to set you up for the most potential in intimacy, but it's not a surefire and promise that guaranteed. you can always get there, right? Like no matter what has happened to you, no matter what choices you've made, mm-hmm. no matter what scenarios you've been in. I mean, it's always a goal that you can be working toward, right. which mm-hmm. is the opposite of throwing up our hands and saying, we can't get to the finish line. No, we're going to make a finish line that everybody in the youth group can still run toward regardless yeah. of where you're starting. Uh, it, would it be a smart drop in here to define intimacy? Yeah. Because I think, uh, we've, it's a well-used definition that intimacy is knowing someone and being completely known. And this is the key without any fear of rejection. Right. Part of the purity movements backlash is yeah. the fear of rejection issue right. because the shame and condemnation, because I had a bad thought, I lusted after a girl, right. therefore I'm impure. Now I have no hope. Right. Whereas integrity changes the game. Right. Mm-hmm. Or even the number of women that I've encountered who have come into a relationship and, and they've said, maybe they're still single, but because of the mentality that, Hey, once you mess up, now you kind of carry that with you. You, there's just a lost hope. I'll never be good enough for, uh, the right kind of person. Or I'm, you know, you could say damaged goods or chewed gum or whatever the illustration was, but you begin to take that on as an identity to say, no, I'm definitely less than, I'm definitely going to have to settle now in my life because of whatever else. Well, and on the other side of that, you have someone who did wait pure. What if they marry someone who didn't? How does that complicate Mm -hmm. the relationship and how you've seen, how you see them? Am I bitter because they didn't hold up their end of the bargain and I did, you know, like there's the, the way that the, the shame kind of manifests itself, not just in the individual, but whoever that individual Marries, I think mm. is complicated. I think well. in my girls' small group, that was a lot of the conversation because we're continually talking to girls about this. And then mm. they would go, but none of the boys are living up to that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we don't have to anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's not true. There are boys that live up to that, but that was their perception. Yeah, their yeah. perception but of everything. But can, can I speak to that? Yeah. I mean, j- we are, we're recording this the same week that it was reported that a Texas school had painted the following statement over the lockers in their main hallway. The more you act like a lady, the more he'll act like a gentleman. Mm. And the problem with that statement is that it puts the moral responsibility on a girl for the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, girls, you're responsible for mm-hmm. the guy. And I want to say this around the table to you, that's a part of the issue mm-hmm. is that young men have been given a pass. Mm-hmm. And the reason they've been given a pass is because uh, to go back to what we've talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, girls aren't sexual. Guys are sexual. Girls are intimate beings. Guys are just physical. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. If, if you are a youth leader listening to this, the young men within the sphere of your influence are responsible for their own sexual integrity. It is not a young lady's responsibility. Yeah. It's, it's that young man's responsibility. And that, that part infuriates me. And it also, I mean, mm. can we I'm, give a collective we, amen to that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want to, I'm embarrassed 
about how we talked about sex for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed because I married the most unbelievable woman and we have fought so hard, even though neither one of us were pure, to have integrity even in marriage. Right. And that's what scares me for my daughters. Mm-hmm. That's what scares me for our son. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting when I talk to him and I talk to other young men about intimacy, mm-hmm. how the complexion and the temperature of the conversation changes Interesting. because that's a sobering idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we do have to address how there are different rules for guys and right. there are girls. And yeah. it's just, I mean, we were giggling earlier about, okay, what do you do on your beach camp? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we make rules that are really focused on all the girls being modest while the guys run around with their shirts off. Although, can we just say there's some one pieces? That, anyway, that's okay. But got very complicated in the last. I yeah. don't appreciate you talking about my bathing suit from last summer. <laughs> well, uh, Stuart, it was emotional hearing you say that in this room, and I would also reiterate that not only is respect mutual, but also responsibility is mutual. Yeah. And right now, I also feel like our lack of holding young men accountable to be responsible for their own actions is also, uh, we're at risk of doing the same thing for young women, of saying, okay, you are no longer responsible for the thing you participated in also. Mm-hmm. And it is important for us to take responsibility for our actions. Now, if you're in a shame-based culture where everything is shameful and everything is um, taboo, then you can't take responsibility mm-hmm. in the same way. And we have to be—we uh, have to own that part of the deal as church leaders. But say, if we can shift this conversation, and here's why I think it matters so much right now to one of integrity, and get shame out of the equation then we have the ability to step into the room and hold people to be responsible for their own actions, the way they treat each other, the way that we regard each other mm-hmm. sexually mm-hmm. in a different way. Mm, that's good. And kind of along the same lines, I, I, I think that with purity, we're talking about what we're doing with another person and integrity is, is engaging more of how we're seeing other people. It's not just like a relationship that you're in. So you could have a guy or a girl be totally pure, but have a porn addiction. Mm -hmm. So it's integrity is, is kind of a more holistic look at what's happening, not just with our bodies, but in our minds Mm -hmm. and our, in the the way that we view one another. So I think that probably helps too. I don't know if there's any concrete evidence of this. I've had conversations with some very, very intelligent, smart people, (laughs) both theologians and in the medical community. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, we've, we've all agreed that guys, you know, I think it was, said a long time ago that guys are microwaves and girls are stoves mm-hmm. um, to talk about, you know, their ability to be, you know, aroused or whatever. I personally think that exposure to imagery that is now at fingertips, mm-hmm. I don't know if it, ch- it has changed females chemically, but I do think that young ladies are becoming more and more the ability for them to be aroused by sight is different than it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That's, That's an interesting. interesting note. I mean, I would also say that young women are watching pornography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're seeing these images. And it's important to note that the storylines and the role models and the characters and all of those things are living and at work in 
their mm-hmm. psyche and their right. mind. Right. So you're taking it in on multiple levels um, where our young people are going, okay, now who am I in this story and how right. should mm-hmm. I grow up and behave and who should I become? Right. Mm-hmm. Kristen, I love that point that you made. That was super helpful. And I think everybody here is, we're kind of tracking, I think, with each other, a lot of what we're saying and agreeing with one another. But I want to play the devil's advocate a little bit. What about the youth pastor who's listening to this and they just gave the purity talk last week or they are listening to everything we're saying and we, they think we've completely gone off the rails? What, what would we say to them? Why is this, what are we suggesting that's different and that's more helpful instead of the purity conversation? Some of this has everything to do with how much you believe your teenagers are sexual beings. Mm -hmm. I think your beliefs drive your language. Okay. And your language informs your process or the systems that you put in place Mm -hmm. as a ministry. That system or how you talk about it, whatever it is you do programmatically, Those are going to yield consistent actions from your students. Those consistent actions are going to consequently have results. Mm -hmm. And those results either inform or reinforce your beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I think every youth leader listening has to ask, is how you are talking about thinking about sexuality with both guys and girls, Mm -hmm. is it getting the results that I think God intended sex to have in the lives of of people. Before and if and it doesn't, marriage. you either need to change your beliefs about it or you need to rethink how you're talking about right. it. That's that's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. And some of our beliefs are shaped, I mean, obviously from the truths and the principles that we read in scripture primarily helps us understand what God's intentions might right. be. But our beliefs are also shaped by the people we know. Correct. The stories we know. I mean, each one of us has gone into either a personal story or the people's stories that we've encountered that have gone, wait, wait, wait. The message maybe we've shared because we believed in it mm-hmm. doesn't work for this person you just met. Right. And the more you get to know their stories, the more you have to just become reflective about the message you just gave. Can you expound yes. on that a little more? Because I would love for us to talk about, and yeah. we, haven't, we haven't touched on it a lot, but what about the young lady who had no choice, had her purity, her sexual integrity ripped away from her? Mm. The young man yeah. Yeah. that that same thing happened. How does your how does your program right. help, help that, that kid? Mm. Because if it's true for one, it should be true for them right. all. And mm-hmm. let me take us out of the sexual conversation for just a minute because I know this is. You want getting, to talk about you know, donuts? It's, it's intense. <laughs> I'm going to go to another analogy and then we can apply it. I still, because this just sat with me and I've never gotten over it. I was sitting in a youth group ministry one day and I was listening to the communicator do a phenomenal job communicating about why you should take your bad friends and get rid of your bad friends and get better friends. Because we all know that the people you surround yourself with will help determine the direction of your life. And so it's a really important message. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. They were doing a great job with it. But I was sitting there and I heard this kid right behind me under his breath where I'm, I mean, I can still picture exactly where I was on the floor. And it was probably this eighth grade guy. And he said, man, I just wish I had a friend. Oof. Mm. And it took my breath away because I thought, oh my goodness, if that communicator had understood this kid's story, there's just a tweak that could have happened to the message. And it's not that what the communicator was saying wasn't true because what he was saying was true, what he, what he was saying was helpful, but it just didn't meet that kid. 
Mm-hmm. And when we think about the conversation with sexuality, I think it's the exact same way of mm-hmm. going just to your point, Stuart, who are the kids in the audience that you need to think about that maybe you haven't thought about mm-hmm. yet? The kid who's been abused, the kid who's you know, been through a number of different situations and making sure that what we're saying, it's not, it doesn't have to just be true. True is not a high enough bar. Mm-hmm. It has to be true, it has to be helpful, and it also has to connect with each individual story that's in the audience. And running it through that filter just means we have to constantly reevaluate what we say, get to know new people, and say, wait, did it work for them? And I would almost argue that if it is true, mm-hmm. it does relate to every kid in the audience. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's or good. not enough, you know, maybe right. we didn't go far enough. Yeah. Right. But I like that idea of, of talking about sexual integrity, making it true and helpful, because mm-hmm. if it's if the purity, it may be true that, you know, that's a great ideal, but if it's not helpful to the people who have already, as something has happened to them or they've participated in something, then you're disconnecting them. Mm-hmm. So I like that, that that connects the dots, I think better when it comes to integrity. So what is this, what are some other ways, what are some tangible practical examples of ways that youth pastors can begin talking about this in a way that doesn't feel like it's giving permission to students to kind of just like, oh, integrity, I can do whatever I want. That means, you know, I, my integrity means this for me. What, what are we, what are we encouraging them to do to how to talk about this? We may think this is trivial, but I think there's something to how we talk about modesty, especially for students that are not a part of our church Mm -hmm. on a consistent Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. I think we have to rethink when we go on trips and we demand a dress code, are we, are we thinking about that kid that has no reason why they would think this is right. Think this way. Mm -hmm. And what is it that we're communicating to them? Mm -hmm. Because in some regard, what we are saying, and it's usually we're we don't, you know, we jokingly say things to guys. It's all, all the pressure is always on the girls. But what are we really communicating to mm-hmm. them? And are we unintentionally communicating that young man's thought life is your responsibility? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have to be careful there. That's good. Right. It's hard, though, because I was a youth pastor that did away with the bathing suit rule. And, like, I thought my church was going to riot. <laughs> like, the parents were like, what do you mean? It, it has to be well. one piece. And I'm like, nah, it doesn't. You know, yeah. let's just dress well, right? Yeah. But so it, that communication is outside of the youth group to parents to people in your church, it's just got to be done well to everybody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do, um, Charlie, do you think that ha- part of the issue with that is that we we make it a rule and we don't do it through the context of relationship? Like we draw this line in the sand, but we're not close enough to anybody to have a conversation with them mm-hmm. to go, hey, have you ever thought about this and why you dress this way and right. what that communicates, that kind of thing? But you know, I have a daughter, right? Okay. Um, and she's like, why do you always make me feel shameful about my body? She's like, I'm tired of having to put a t-shirt on. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, as a mom, I was not trying to make you feel shameful. But then as the youth pastor, right. had I done that to other girls? Right. Yeah. Right. I don't... Well, and in some regards, isn't it easier to just say, here's the thing. We're scared of your sexuality. Yes. <laughs> so if you can wear a one piece, then we don't have to worry about your sexuality anymore. And that's really not true. I mean, the truth is... But guys, as long as you do enough sit-ups, you can walk around with your shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's in essence what we communicate. Yeah. But you want to say, actually, 
It's a much bigger issue than that. Throwing a one piece on, putting on a t-shirt does not make guys stop lusting. It doesn't make girls right, stop right. lusting. You could wear a parka make... and they're going <laughs> to It's just not that easy to get over. And we have to get comfortable with embracing the fact that you're, if you're in youth ministry, you're with teenagers and they have desires and We've just all got to be comfortable with that. And we have to talk about it, though, yeah. and be comfortable talking about it. I, there's so many times I hear middle school youth pastors say, well, we didn't want to do that that sex talk that you all put out, right? And I was like, what? Why? Why wouldn't yeah. you talk about that? Because it's yeah. so important. So, But there is some fairness in that, because I do think we should reserve the right up for parents to have that mm-hmm. discussion, Yes, because that does need, I think, to be at least they get first dibs. Mm. Absolutely. And that, but yeah. also that what, what church, what the church is communicating is not just from the stage, but it isn't on those one-on-one conversations where you can start talking more practically, not just theoretically about what sexual integrity looks like. It's right. easy to talk purity from the stage, but it's on the one-on-one conversations of like, what does this look like played out given right. your past, given right. your relationships? Okay. So now I've got a question because you just said parents and we've all mentioned parents a little bit, but what, does that look like in a youth ministry world when you see and understand middle school culture, high school culture, you maybe see a little bit of a different perspective than all the parents of youth Mm -hmm. might see. What can you do as a youth pastor to help parents win in this area when the parent, you know, may have who knows what perspective Mm -hmm. on this particular issue? Right. Cause like my mom didn't talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't sitting around the dining room table talking to my mom. Yeah. But at my house, that's the common conversation. Sometimes I think my husband wants us just to stop talking and he just <laughs> leaves the room, right? But how do we set up parents and how do we equip them to have the conversations well? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I just let Kelly talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think just like there are youth leaders listening to this who have uh, differing opinions. Mm-hmm. There are moms and dads in your youth ministry mm-hmm. that have differing opinions. And we have to be wise enough to know that just because their opinion isn't your opinion doesn't necessarily mean they're motivated by something evil. Right. Uh, and uh, first of all, I think we have to start, as we have said many times on this podcast, with the expressed assumption that every mom and dad wants to win and that mm-hmm. every mom and dad wants to be a great parent. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we operate by the opposite. We think that moms and dads are out to destroy their children and they want to get us fired. (laughs) And we just have to stop operating by that assumption. And if we start operating by they want to be great parents, it allows us to begin to have conversations on a positive note Mm -hmm. as opposed to this isn't going to do. I mean, you can't. Because it's going to, it do, that's part of the tension is that back to the bathing suit issue, you're in many times as a youth leader, you're fighting against, you know, five, six years of mom going, mom and dad going, it's perfectly fine, of course. Right. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're going, no, and they're connecting that to God. Right. Yep. There's, yeah. that's an amazing point because I was actually doing a little research in uh, Pew Research, where you get national statistical data for things, and found a stat that I found was really interesting as it relates to our message about sexuality with teenagers. And it was just that by 12 years old, 39% of children by the age of 12 have had a mother who's in a cohabitating relationship 
So she has a man in their house. Clearly, they're having sex. The kid, by 12, they can figure that out. They know that. At 16, 46%. At the age of 16, 46% of kids have had a mother with a cohabitating male adult in their house. So when we talk about purity, sometimes I do think we forget that we're talking about somebody's mom. Yeah. And it changes the conversation when you go, wait, now all of a sudden you're sending a teenager back into the home to be like, hey, mom, did you know that you're a sinner? (laughs) So... (laughs) It's going to be a hard to win over a parent to participate mm-hmm. in your ministry when maybe you're creating That's a, great a, point. a strained conversation in their home. That's a great point. So kind of back to, that, back to the question again of what does this look, look like from the stage and what does this look like in our small groups with small group leaders kind of talking about sexual integrity with students and what are some really practical takeaways we can give? I think what we've said is that we have to change the narrative Mm -hmm. from sexual purity to sexual integrity, Mm -hmm. that we perhaps need to begin conversations around the idea of wholeness versus sin, Mm -hmm. that we start with a positive and not a negative. Mm -hmm. And that's a great place for us to start. I think Mm -hmm. that begins to permeate from the platform and whomever's communicating Mm -hmm. more times than not. And especially, and I think most importantly, to the small group leader and what begins to be communicated, hopefully to mom and dad, mm-hmm. that we, we want to help your son or daughter develop incredible integrity. Mm-hmm. We want to help them develop it intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, physically, but we also want to help them develop it sexually mm-hmm. because we, we desire wholeness. For them. Is that fair? I think that's right. I think we're also talking about a shift in our thinking away from a finish line mentality. Mm-hmm. Follow these rules. As you've said, Sarah, it was, you know, check these boxes, follow mm-hmm. these rules, and then you get to the finish line. And and the message we've sent or the way that we've thought about it is that there is a finish line with marriage and then you're done working on this. And we can begin to shift the conversation to say, no, sexual integrity is something I'm still working on Correct. right yes. now as a married adult, sexual integrity is something you never stop working on. Mm-hmm. You never arrive at it. You never have it, you know, and you wake up and you're, you're done. Kristen, mm-hmm. do you think, how do you think about when we've defined intimacy the way that we have, how do we talk to teenagers about how important pursuing in, like intimacy with your future spouse mm-hmm. is? Because I think that's part of what we've failed to communicate mm-hmm. in, during the purity movement is this idea of knowing and being fully known without any fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. And all of us sitting around this table are married, and we know how hard it is to fight for any sort of intimacy, right. much less and even more sexual intimacy. So, Well, if we begin the conversation by saying we're working on this too as youth pastors, you know, Sexual integrity is something that's hard. In this culture, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's not just our teenagers that have access to pornography and images and things that are going to take our potential intimacy and, you know, erode that Mm -hmm. away from us. And so we can enter the conversation and go, we're all still working on this. And if you start practicing the skills to work on your ability to have intimacy with another person now, you are going to get, you're going to grow in that ability to continue to work hard at it and mm-hmm. you're never going to stop. Mm-hmm. In some regard, it feels like what we're saying is that the purity movement was an extreme to, for a lack of a better term, it was an extreme to the far right. Mm-hmm. There are those in uh, culture today, even you know people who follow Jesus 
who've stretched that extreme to the far left. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, ideas like the da damaged goods book that talks mm -hmm. about as long as there's, you know, you're consensual Consent. and respectful, then anything goes. Mm -hmm. And it feels like to me, we're saying, let's have wisdom. Mm -hmm. Let's let's seek and desire integrity. Mm -hmm. Let's not chase extremes because there's there's danger and you know collateral damage on mm -hmm. both sides. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in chasing sexual integrity. Right. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing is that even being imperfect, you can have integrity. Right. Yeah. So things we want to stop saying or stop doing, maybe stop with the object lessons when we are talking about purity in terms of Please. china plates and the what flowers with missing petals and whatever else. I don't know. What are some other examples of spit, uh, chewed up gum? Uh, construction paper, construction yeah. paper glued to other pieces of paper, and when you tear it oh, off, yeah. there's Pulls part on, of it. Yeah. Put nails in the fence. You can't. Oh, you, you can't know, fix the holes. Can't fix the holes in yeah. the fence. I'm learning so much right now. These are all church. You things guys are literally going through my catalog. <laughs> I was going to say, you're doing a mental checklist. Don't ever talk yeah, about. Don't ever talk about that one. Nails again. and holes and yeah. fences. Okay, so that's good. What about? Um, wouldn't you also say, if we're talking about purity, stopping the youth pastors up on stage talking about you wait, it's great. Just like the finish that rhymes. line. That is a serious bottom line. What's you that? wait, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Our next sex series. But but that it's that mentality. When we're talking about integrity, sexual integrity being something that we are constantly working on and walking through. But when we treat it like purity is the finish line, then you get these youth pastors up on stage talking about. Correct. And I think it goes back to what Kristen was saying earlier about the idea of sexual integrity, that as adults, we have to work right. for it. And we tend to communicate once we're married, especially it's as great. if we never, like we've reached the finish line and we don't struggle. Right. And that's just not true. Right. I, yeah. I mean, we have a sexual prosperity gospel. Yes. Is basically that is what we're saying. 100%. Say that again. Oh, that's good. We have a sexual prosperity gospel. Yes. We say yeah. if you do these things, it's all going to be great and you're going to have the best sex life relationship marriage ever. Right. right. And we don't talk about, as a youth pastor right. during the purity movement, uh, the stories of one particular couple. They waited until they walked down the aisle and kissed for the first time. Yeah. Their honeymoon night was a disaster. Yeah. And it was six months later until they were able to have sexual intercourse because yeah. of guilt and shame. Yeah. We don't talk about that no part of it that. because the sexual prosperity gospel does not, it cannot keep its promises. Mm. Guilt erodes our ability to have intimacy just as much as many other things. Oh, that's good. And we begin that's to really think good. that guilt is as much of a negative that we put on our kids as anything else. Yeah. And I, I also think it's the way that we view sex and sin. It's like the thing. If we can keep you pure, then we've won. But if you've failed sexually, then it's like we can't redeem that. It's that's done. So good. And that's like, that comes back to something that I would even say confessionally, as working in youth ministry or even in parenting, sometimes as adults, it's easy to take our teenagers' actions as a reflection of how good we are oh, at yeah. our job. Mm -hmm. And we think, okay, well, if I was this kid's leader and you know this happened mm -hmm. in her world or this was the choice they made, then I didn't do my job well. Mm -hmm. And I think 
redefining and giving grace to ourselves sometimes in youth Mm -hmm. ministry to say, no, I mean, you cannot control what happens to a kid. You can't control the choices that they're going to make. You control the way you love, show grace, forgive, point them back to the whole person that God has made them to be. Yeah. Failure is an event. It's not a person. Mm -hmm. And in matters of integrity, we will trip. Mm -hmm. But your teenagers that have made mistakes are not failures. Mm-hmm. But they when we talk p- about it purity-wise, it feels It feels like we, we damn them, right? and you're now a failure, and that's not true. You're a person who made a mistake. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so as we wrap up this really big conversation, what are some resources that you all would recommend to our listeners if they wanted to keep looking into this topic? So XP3 Middle School and High School, we release a series in the spring. Um, it's a four-week series about sex, and it will help you give words and language to talk about this from the stage. And I know XP3 was really intentional working with the other curriculum at Orange so that it's actually age group wide. From first look, the preschool curriculum to the children's curriculum, 252 kids, all the way up to XP3. And that feels like it has a unique potential even in the church to go, we need to begin the conversation really young Mm -hmm. if we want to be able to have the right kind of conversation in our youth ministries. Um, And that series will come along with a whole lot of additional resources to continue the conversation, not only in small groups, but also at home with parents. We've put sex conversations guides as Mm -hmm. part of the phase guides project, one for every single year from birth through age 18. So you can also point parents that direction. Um, in the towards the back of the book, there's a piece all about sexual integrity and what kind of conversations you might want to prepare to have with your kid at each age along the way. That's great. Yeah, and I'm more than willing to enter into dialogue because this is not something you probably like arrive to a conclusion. Yeah. Uh, quickly. So if anyone would love to email me, they can do that at shall at rethinkgroup.org or I wear a one piece at rethinkgroup.org. <laughs> That's great. Thanks guys for all of those resources, suggestions, and your thoughts on this today. This was super helpful. Thanks for joining us for the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. We want to keep talking about this with you. So check out our show notes at rethinkingym.org for a link to our Facebook group where we're talking about this this week. Until next time, thanks for listening.